Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond, and you're listening to another episode of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. All across the Locked On Podcast Network this week, we are counting down the five greatest moments in team history. So that's what we're going to do today on Locked On Blazers. We're going to count down the five biggest moments from the 2019-2020 season. Now, I thought this exercise was going to be relatively easy. I thought I was going to be able to pick five games and kind of extrapolate larger themes from those games. But, folks, it was a little bit harder than that. This season, in retrospect, was mostly bummers. But I have called the bummers. I have gone through them with a fine-tooth comb to find five of the best moments from this Blazers season. Unequivocally, the five best moments from the Blazers season. So, we're going to start today counting down in reverse order. We'll start with five, four, three. I think you get the idea. I'm not sure that these should be considered the straight-up rankings of fifth best moment to first best moment. I did try to put them in order of importance, but uh, some of it was just organizing it better for you, the listener. So what we'll start with with number five is the best wins of the season. I only think there's two. I don't think you could add a third. That's it. That's how this season went. The first one is January 7th at Toronto. Blazers down, double digits for much of the fourth quarter. Kind of turned the game around in the final two minutes. Carmelo Anthony. You remember him. We'll talk about him more soon. Hits a three-pointer. Hassan Whiteside. A big block, keeps the ball in bounds, and then sets up Damian Lillard, who steps into like a 35-footer to tie the game. Then with the game tied, the Raptors give the give the Blazers an absolute gift. Pat McCaw, trying to find Kyle Lowry, just throws a terrible pass, kind of half-bounce pass, half-chest pass that zips in below Lowry's knees and just skirts out of bounds. So the Blazers get it back with 13 seconds left. They get the ball to CJ kind of on the right baseline, about 17 feet from the rim. He jab steps 2 million times before kicking out to Mello, who's at the three-point line. Mello pump fakes, takes a little two-dribble pull-up, gets himself to the free-throw line. Bang. Blazers lead by two. Kyle Lowry on the other end for Toronto missed a potential game-winning three at the buzzer. Blazers win. Huge win on the road against the defending champs. Raptors a little shorthanded. No Marcus no Serge Ibaka, but, you know, whatever. Uh, Carmelo had 28 on 10 of 17. Dame had 20. CJ was bad. 10 points on 5 of 18 shooting, but had a huge assist there at the end of the game. Hassan, awesome. 16, 14, and 7 blocks. I flew through this one because the second best game is just the best game that happened all year long for so many reasons. Let's get to it now. A week later, January 15th at Houston. The Blazers end up winning this game 117-107. It was, at the time, their third win over the season against a team with a winning record. The first being at Dallas in Game 3 and at Toronto a week earlier. They had also beaten Oklahoma City twice at this point, once at home and once on the road. But the Thunder were not, a, they were several games under 500 at the time timing of those games. The OKC turned it around and ended up being a good team. So you could say that this was their fifth win over a team with over a team that was 500 or better, but really it's their third. Uh, and this was just unequivocal. This is this is, this is is probably the best game of the season, but it's not their best game of the season because they won 117-107 against a legit Western Conference playoff team. It's the best game of the season because so much off-the-court stuff happened. A lot of this dialogue I owe credit to the intrepid reporting of my friend, 
colleague, Jason Quick of The Athletic. He reported that Terry Stotts in the middle of the third quarter yelled at Hassan Whiteside and pardoned the language here. He said, it's your job to help, Stotts said, leaning into Whiteside as they came into the huddle. He's the best fucking player in basketball. We need to help. Hassan Whiteside had not rotated over to guard James Harden, and Terry Stotts was letting him know about it. This was kind of the uh, the beginning of the Hassanessance. He was kind of figuring out when how to be effective and how to be uh, a, a positive contributor. I think he spent largely the first 30 games of the season unaware of how exactly he was going to impact winning. He was starting to figure it out here, and Terry Stotts was making sure he didn't forget it. That moment, um, I love. I love the reporting from Quick. I love Stotts is fiery. He yells at guys. Um, he's not like a big screamer publicly. He's very, very, very cautious uh, to criticize players. Uh, he's pretty cautious to praise players. It's, um, it's frankly quite annoying. But uh, this is this was a thing. You know, he just said in the heat of the moment. Uh, luckily, the media seats there in Houston are close enough that Quick got to hear it all. Um, it's great stuff. Uh, Stotts downplayed it. Hassan Whiteside downplayed it. Neither of them are particularly good at contextualizing why that might be important. But the Blazers go on to win this game. Hassan was really good, 18-18 and 18 in this one. But the moment that I think really makes this the best game of the season, right? The, the Blazers, all the things make this the best win of the year. They beat a good team. They beat a good team by playing smart. Uh, they beat a good team on the road. They, they looked competitive in this game. This was the... 42nd game of the season, uh, the official second start of the official second half. They moved to Blazers to a game and a half behind Memphis. This was like, okay, maybe they're starting to be not bad. Maybe this will be like a real playoff team. But the moment that really crystallizes it as the best game of the year for me is an exchange between Damian Lode and Russell Westbrook. Westbrook gets it in the post. Uh, Dame kind of, or, and, and, Westbrook turns middle and Dame fouls him hard, like rakes him across both hands, gets the ball, an intentional foul. And uh, Westbrook says, you know, you can't guard me. Every, you know, if you send me, to, you foul me, that's automatic two points. That's automatic two points. And uh, Lillard shot back, you're a 60% free throw shooter. You're going to miss both of them. And you could see in the video, if you Google this, uh, the Westbrook Lillard spat, is that uh, Westbrook says, impossible. It's great. He doesn't look back at Dame. He just yells impossible. And you can see in the same thing, he says, 82. Impossible. 82. And and reportedly, this again from Jason Quick, is that after Westbrook misses the first one, an incredible part of this video clip is telling him that he can't guard him, that it's automatic two points, and then bricking a free throw. Just like a really, truly perfect internet video clip. And Dame says after he missed the first one, 50% now. And apparently, this is again from Quick, is that uh, Westbrook shot back. What seed are you all? What playoff seed are you all? And Damian Lillard says, you know, I'm the last person you want to see in the playoffs. So this was, the, these were the best two games of the year. The Toronto win, a convincing win over the defending champs, a road win over Houston that featured just some incredible scenes. Terry Stotts yelling at Hassan Whiteside, um, the type of things that I think plenty of people who are frustrated with sort of Hassan would probably like to yell at him several times. And the Dame Westbrook beef all of that sort of grouped into the Blazers winning by 10 on the road um, and just playing good basketball, playing, looking like a, they did so, there's so many games this year when they were just like stupid the game away by giving up exactly what the other team's best player wanted or, you know, the, the home against Toronto is a pretty good example. They were 
playing really well, and Toronto just said, cool, you don't have anyone who could guard Pascal Siakam, and Siakam had 15 in the fourth quarter, and the Raptors won. There were so many games that felt like that for the Blazers. This game in Houston was the opposite. They got a lead early in the second quarter, they held on to it late, and they didn't let Houston make a run, and there was beef, and that's what makes for the best games of the season. Second segment? Let's talk a little bit about CJ McCollum looking like a point guard. It's the number four best moment of the Trailblazers season. All right. Still talking best moments of the Trailblazers season. I gave you my best two wins of the year at Toronto and at Houston in January. January, unequivocally, the Blazers' best best month of the year. Those two wins... Um, you may hear this a little bit later in the program, but Damian Lillard, very good at the end of January. January, it's um, fun times to look back to now the season is on hold or maybe done for. But number four on the list after the number five was those two best wins. Number four is CJ McCollum looking like a point guard. Damian Lillard got hurt right basically as the All-Star break was happening with about three and a half minutes left in the final game before the All-Star break at Memphis. Damian Lillard injured his groin, went straight back to the locker room, and he missed six games after that. Now, things didn't go great for the Blazers. They went two and four. Uh, included in that those four losses was the loss at Atlanta. Maybe one of their worst losses of the year. Certainly up there, among them, their worst losses of the year. So this wasn't all perfect. But what this six-game stretch allowed Blazer fans and, and myself to really see probably for the first time is CJ McCollum step into the lead guard role for the first time. And in those six games without Dame, he averaged 33 points, 8.3 assists, and 5.3 rebounds while shooting 48.3% from the floor and 40.6% from beyond the three-point line. He had 27, 10, and 6, 41, 9, and 12, 28, 4, and 10 dimes 35 5 and 5 and then closed out this six game run with 41 points five rebounds and five assists at orlando i don't like i said the the wins and losses stuff i think kind of murk like make this how we appreciate this a little bit murky but what i will say this is this is the best all-around game we've ever seen cj play he's had better moments game seven in denver was a just a fantastic moment an all-time great performance but this stretch of six games was kind of showing you maybe what cj could be if the reins were really taken off him and not just the reins if because I don't, I don't think he's being limited necessarily. I don't, I don't want to imply that. If he was asked to do something different, and that was just to straight up play point guard and lead a team, this is what CJ might look like. He's a guy who could go score, be efficient, get his shots, and still get dudes involved. He's never going to be a high-level rebounder. He's never going to be a high-level defender. But the idea that CJ McCollum could pass more seems pretty re- realistic, and this showed his ability to set the table. I don't think he's just this sort of like elite passer who chooses not to. I think he has to shift his mindset a little bit, shift his approach and say, okay, I'm going to pass the ball now. But what I think we learned during this six-game stretch and why it was so important was that CJ is capable of shifting that mindset and putting it into practice. Here, this quote from Stotts is the most telling quote. This happened pre-game, uh, Right after Dame got back. I don't think Dame had played, but it was they announced Dame was going to come back after the Blazers won in Orlando. And Terry Stott spoke to reporters pregame. This is, I'm digging in my notebook for this one, my notebook being a Google Doc. Terry said, What CJ was able to do was because Dame wasn't out there. 
The ball was in his hands a lot. I think the impressive thing was that he took a leadership role on the court. He scored when he had to. He assisted. He did the things you would want him to do. I think one of our goals, not only this year, but next year, is trying to make that happen more often, even when Dame is on the court. It was good to see him do that, and now we got to probably see more of it. We probably got to see more of it and try to make it happen. That is what passes for Terry Stotts as a very strong comment. And I think it's the most telling thing. CJ was really resistant when brought to this idea was brought to him, like that he, he could somehow change his game and, um, or change his approach and, and incorporate some of the passing stuff that he did when Dame was out, when Dame got back. But we'll say this, when Dame was back on the court, CJ's numbers assist didn't really go back down in the final five or six games before the season came to a halt. He continued to be more, at least his assist numbers continued to stay high. But I think Terry Stott saying we need more to get more of this CJ is what makes this stretch so important. It's a recognition not only from us, the viewing public, watching these games that, man, uh, CJ can be this floor general. He, he can be a guy who guides an offense and isn't just sort of like a score-only supercharged Lou Williams. Uh, this is maybe proof that he could be the lead guard on, on a really high level offense. Of course they went two and four, but his, I mean, come on, this roster stinks. Even with Damian Lillard, they weren't particularly good. So I I don't want to, I don't want to be too rude about the overall record, but the, the production 33, eight and five, 40% from three. I mean, this was, I think that Orlando game was the moment when I, when I was like, Okay, this is like for real. You know, they lost a handful the first three when Dame was out. They kind of didn't get right. Then CJ had this monster game against a really bad Detroit team. He had, um, oh, I guess that was the second game. Sorry. They, they lost the three out of the first four, though, when, when Dame's down. And he has 41, 9, and 12 against Detroit. And you're like, wow. Um, they really needed him. He, they bailed him out from what otherwise would have been a, a, a just a brutal, brutal loss. But he was fantastic in that game. But that game at Orlando was, I think, CJ really asserting himself maybe as that sort of leader and floor general and and picking his spots. More so, you know, he only had 41, 5, and 5 only, I say. But he only had 5 assists. But the way he kind of set that team up, the game was in the balance. And he and Gary Trent Jr. really helped take over that game. And I think that solidified for me um, sort of this, that this was the best little stretch we'd seen from CJ in his career. Close out the show with the third biggest moment, or best moment rather, from the Blazers season. The arrival of Carmelo Anthony. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. You're still listening to Locked on Blazers. We're still talking the best five moments from the Trail Blazers 2019-20 season. We talked about their best two wins at Toronto and at Houston. We talked about the six-game stretch where CJ looked like a franchise-changing lead guard. Ditched the Robin outfit and started playing Batman for a little bit. But to close out the show, I want to talk about the third best moment from the Blazers season, and that was the arrival of Carmelo Anthony. He arrived on November 11th. And it didn't start out great. A little rocky, for being totally honest, to begin with. The Blazers lost the first three games. The first one without Damian Lillard. The second one at Milwaukee. Then they lost at Cleveland. One of the, one, I would argue one of their worst games of the year. 
started 0-3 the Mellow experiment, but even in those games, you could tell that Mellow had some juice, that maybe he was... Um, that he was providing a spark to the Blazers that they had been missing. This was, I'll remind you, after Zach Collins had gotten hurt, uh, they just didn't have a power forward really on the roster. They'd been trying Rodney Hood there. He was he would get injured about four weeks later. Um, but they were they just didn't have you know Tolliver Anthony Tolliver just wasn't capable of playing that many minutes at power forward, and they literally did not have another tall enough big enough person on the roster to do it. A true failing of this roster creation, the deepest and most talented roster ever assembled. So that's why they had to call Mello. And Mello comes out of a 15-month retirement, excuse me, basically like a 12-month retirement. He basically, to the day, uh, I think he he left Houston in December and he arrives back in 11 months later in, in Portland. Uh, he was pretty good. Overall, in his production, he averaged 15.3 points and 6.3 rebounds in 50 games with the Blazers. Blazers went 22-28 and 28 with Melo on the court. He shot 42% from the floor, 37.1% from three. And after those first three losses, he looked really good. They won. He won player of the week next week, the following week. They beat Chicago. Oklahoma City, who turned out to be a really good team that looks like a better win in hindsight than it did at the time. Uh, Oklahoma City was scuffling early in the season. And then they beat Chicago again. And Carmelo Anthony, probably undeservingly, because that was the week that um, your boy James Harden scored 60 points in three quarters. But whatever. Player of the week is stupid. Uh, James Harden will get other hardware. It was a way for the NBA to commemorate what Mello had. Mello's arrival meant to the league. Um, you know, the Blazers go 3-0, and and Mello averaged 22 points, 7 rebounds, 7.7 rebounds, 2.7 assists. He shot 57% from the floor, 45.5% from three. He was balling. But I'm not remembering this season or even calling this the best moment of the year before because of he won player of the week. I'm calling because like what Mello brought to the team, the aura that he brought to the team. He helped the Blazers avoid being abysmal. He didn't exactly push them into the realm of truly competitive, but he proved he can play and he proved that he's he was an NBA player and that he had spent maybe unfairly a year away from the game. Probably some of his own doing. He probably wanted to start. The Blazers finally offered him an opportunity to start and play real minutes, and he got that, seized it, and was pretty good. Uh, not a game changer like he was early in his career, but few are at his age. What he was was a pretty dependable offensive player. He developed some chemistry with C.J. McCollum. And he showed some of his flaws. He's was a good defender if the guy was right in front of him, but not a great team defender. He's a good rebounder, kind of just like grabbing a rebound in traffic, but he's not like this blockout monster or a dude that really changes much of what your team can do on the defensive glass. You're either good with him or you're bad with him, and then he's not going to sway it too much in, in one way or the other. But that's the most important thing that Cornell Anthony was, was that he was fun. He injected interest into a team that was on a pretty clear downward spiral and the players respected and loved him Damien Lord would ask Carmelo Anthony for advice not just like yo how do I attack this pick and roll or what do I do if they trap me on the wing but how to be the face of a franchise how to be a leader how to be a how to be the biggest voice not only in the locker room but in the market and something that Melo that Dame had never been able to ask any of his other teammates uh he could 
you know, the way him and LaMarcus's sort of uh, trajectories were, that was never going to be appropriate for Dame to kind of ask LaMarcus that. He had never played with someone of Melo's stature, and he did what great leaders do, is that he asked someone, how, how do I approach this? CJ clearly revered him. Uh, he, you know, he called him a legend. He, he said things about Mello that he's quick to, quick to just sort of offhandedly praise Mello in the way that um, CJ maybe doesn't do for a, a ton of other guys. Uh, not that he's like snobby about it. It's just like he, he he's very matter of fact in his in his post game dealings, and he would kind of go out of his way to be like, "Yo, Carmelo Anthony is is a legend." And the young guys basically, like the young guys in the Blazers roster basically don't know an NBA without Carmelo Anthony. Nazir Little was born in the year 2000. Carmelo Anthony was drafted in 2003. All of Nazir Little's memoried life, all of his life he, he could possibly remember basketball in has included Carmelo Anthony. Same with Gary Trent Jr. basically, same with Anthony Simons, certainly the same with Wayne and Gabriel and Caleb Swanigan. Caleb Swanigan later said if there was one veteran he wished he could play with his entire career, it was Carmelo Anthony. Trevor Ariza, a really good friend of Carmelo Anthony's, uh, they had a great relationship, you know, rekindling when Ariza joined the team later in the year. Guys really, really respected him. And just from a media standpoint, I loved the Carmelo Anthony experiment. I loved it. He listened when I asked questions. He made eye contact. I don't think he learned my name. I don't know, wasn't around the team really enough for him to learn my name, but he would do things that maybe other guys don't, which is listen and respond to the question you're asking. And if he doesn't like the question, he wouldn't just poo-poo it and give you a sort of cliched answer. He'd, you know, push back a little against and say, actually, I think it's like this. I loved his honesty. I loved his candidness. Um, I appreciated just the 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 whole Carmelo aesthetic and vibe. He would play Marvin Gaye out of his phone. Um, he was just a super, he was the old head for, for, for lack of a better term. He was the old head in the locker room, the OG, and people treated and respected him as such. I'm not sure there has ever been a player as famous as Carmelo Anthony on the Blazers roster. I think Bill Walton probably was in the 70s. Like he was on FBI watch list and he was hanging out with Jerry Garcia and in the New York Times when he was still in college. Like he was a truly famous person. Scottie Pippen was incredibly famous, but kind of on another level. I think he's the only one that really compares. But the the... I've never been around someone in my six seasons covering the Blazers that had the sort of like national global cachet that Mello does. Like, oh, Carmelo Anthony. Like you go to, and I talked about this with Jamie Hudson in an interview she actually did on this podcast, is that on the road, it would be crazy how many just sort of like hangers around, entertainment type people would want to come and ask Anthony things. And uh, he was... Even talking to the Blazers PR people, they they couldn't necessarily recall someone with sort of the the global cachet and the and the and the fame that that Mello had and and what it was like to sort of um, have him have him be on the team and what type of sort of media attention those things bring. Carmelo wasn't great on the court; he was fantastic off of it, and for that, I think he was the third best moment. His arrival really changed the a lot the perception of the season. Certainly for his first month, it looked like he might save the season. And I think he kept the Blazers afloat and kept the Blazers interesting much longer than they otherwise would have been. And he was pretty good. He averaged 15 a game. He's pretty good. Solid. He's still a solid ISO scorer. He can do what he does. The Blazers let Mello be Mello, and he embraced it. That's why he's the in my mind, the third best moment of the Blazers' season is his arrival and participation. 
That's going to do it for today's show. In the next episode, we'll discuss numbers one and two, the best and second best moments from the Blazers' 2019-2020 season. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Locked On Blazers and be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.